Hi, Sarah. I'm really, really excited that you're here. And if you're listening to this episode, you're in for a real treat because this is a topic that comes up a lot for me now. And I know for my clients as well. So Sarah Williams, Williamson, sorry, founder of Drink Less, Live Better. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Lovely to be here today. Uh, so before we get started, do you want to just introduce yourself um, and tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today, a little bit about your background, because um, I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'd love to. Um, I set up my business, Drink Less, Live Better, a couple of years ago, and that was on the back of having spent more than 15 years coaching, mentoring. Um, my work had been in youth justice with young people, spending a lot of time, nearly all day, every day, talking to them about their addictions about their substance use and misuse whilst never ever considering for a single second my white wine habit and how that was having an impact on me um so I have been alcohol free for um coming up to four years now and everything I do now has been based upon that journey of where I've come from to where I stand today um, I, I love that and yeah, this this topic is coming up time and time again. I'm seeing it not just in the conversations that I'm having, but also just on social media and and people being more curious about what it'd be like to be alcohol free and and how they'd actually go. Uh, just how to start that, you know, how to actually make that a reality for them. So, how did it start for you? Um, I suppose it has been. A long journey we we could go all the way back and say you know my drinking started in a at the time as it it would have been then a, a normal for want of a better word teenage way you know in the park certainly in the tiny village I grew up in there was not a concern about people being 18 when they started drinking in the pub I know that is different now um so I probably started drinking somewhere around 14, 15, 16, with my friends, went to university during that Ladette um, era, absolutely took huge pride in um, being able to be that girl who also was able to drink the boys under the table would have been one of my, you know, <laughs> um, headlines I could have told you then, which is completely ridiculous. I am five foot nothing. And at university, I lived with four guys who were you know all six foot something and yet it was what myself and my friends were were doing when we were out um my drinking in my 20s I worked in central London in an amazing career and a huge amount of the after work socializing took place in the pub of course it it did there were massive after work events and it it was just what life looked like at that time. Um, later on in my 20s, I got married and, and had my kids and my drinking habits absolutely changed to something that was probably quite, again, normal. I, I would say for that time, perhaps I didn't drink Monday to Thursday, perhaps I drank at the weekends certainly with small drink with small drinking sorry small children it was big drinking in fact on the weekends where I felt I had that time to try and reclaim some of my adult 
life that I really felt I was missing and Friday nights my girlfriends and I you know once once the kids had had their tea when they were little toddlers we used to hit the white wine hard it was part of how we socialized how we bonded together um and that sort of continued into my 30s in 2017 I woke up one day with the mother of all hangovers and it wasn't a hangover that was particularly different to any particular hangover that that had gone on before I'd been for a night out in London with some friends got the last train home and the next morning I just felt terrible and in that moment I thought oh yes I do recognize something has got to be different but I couldn't quite put my finger on it and I also could never have said it out loud to anybody else and it took me two and a half years to actually get to the point of doing something different so I recognized it and then there was a long lead into Googling things like, am I an alcoholic? Googling, do I have to go to AA? What is it like going to AA? Do I have to tell my doctor about this? And all of those feelings that arose that were around guilt and around shame. If anybody outwardly had looked at my life at that time, it was ticking all the boxes. I was living a lovely life, married to an amazing husband. I've got two gorgeous kids. I live in a nice house in a nice town outside of London. I've got a dog. Everything looks amazing. But if on the inside, what you are feeling is massive overwhelm, the weight of your work when you get home in the evening is relieved by opening that fridge door, pouring that glass of wine whilst you are cooking dinner, that feeling that you get that is around changing gears, that is around, okay, this is home time now, I'm away from the workplace, stepped away from my laptop, maybe there's kids to take to activities directly after work, and then you are in that zone of, okay, and now rest, and wine or gin and tonic or the beers, whatever your thing is, is part of your changing gear, it turns out it's actually quite difficult to move away from that. So um, I started to put in place strategies, I suppose, is what I would now look back and and say to you. It was a while in the designing, the making of. Um, I initially decided that I was going to do one year alcohol free as an experiment. I did not like the idea of saying, right, I'm never going to drink again because it just sounded too restrictive. And I had in the back of my mind, what if I'm going to be lonely, miserable and boring? Does that mean I have to do that for the rest of my life? I'm not, I'm absolutely not signing up for that. Thanks very much. And I also knew that I could do a dry January or a sober October. So I knew I needed a challenge that was longer than just one month. And I kind of wasn't quite on board with doing three months or six months, I thought, right, I'll just go in big, I'll do a year, run it as an experiment, see how I feel at the end of it. And that was 2020. So I happened to have not gone back to it. My, my experiment as it was started in 2019. And this year, uh, next month, I'll be four years alcohol free. And I do the experiment 
had the results that I didn't expect I do feel so much better for it fantastic oh you know congratulations first of all you know four years amazing and the fact that you feel so much better and your experiment worked and and you did it through that really challenging year as well you know so um that in itself is is really impressive there's a, a lot that I kind of want to unpick if you if that's all right Sarah and just go back a second because your story I think a lot of people would resonate with in terms of you know um growing up and, and I'm of the same era as well so you you and I appreciate as you said nowadays it's very different in terms of you people are a lot more strict and uh, about going into pubs and things at 18 um it wasn't the case for me and I know you just said it wasn't the case for you either and you do you do get that um that persona that identity that if you want to have a good time you go out with your friends and you're having a drink and and that it's you have great pride in how much you can drink and I lived with four guys as well through university and you know when you said oh I could drink them under the table I had a flashback and thought oh I used to say that too so it can become part of your identity and woven into you having a good time and this is how you you have fun this is how you relax um and I can completely relate to waking up and thinking actually I don't like this anymore or I I think I was always quite fortunate that I used to get horrendous hangovers all the time so I was always getting awful hangovers and then one day I went I don't want this anymore I'm done you know um so that was kind of my switching point um so I loved the fact that you had that realization of yeah I'm done with that or I'm what I'm ready to be curious so I'm 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 really interested in how you actually made that 12 months work mm. because for me I didn't I didn't personally create a, an experiment for myself like you did but I know so many people who do you know who say right I'm gonna have that month first of all with dry January or I'm gonna do a 12 months and just see what happens for me I'm I, I just just I, it just I fell out of love with it you know so I stopped asking you know I stopped going for choosing the wine on the menu rather than something else um but how did how did you get on in that 12 months then? Let's talk about what strategies you put in place or what, what tips you've got um, to not only, I think what I'm asking first before we get into that, Sarah, is how what other things can you recognise that this is for you? Let's go back even further. Yeah, um, uh, I think that one that you just said, being done is a really satisfying position to come to. You, you know, in the movies, we see these stories of big rock bottoms mm-hmm. and we see these stories of um, there was a family intervention needed. Somebody needed residential rehab. They needed a medically assisted detox. They crashed their car. They lost their job. They blew up their relationship. And I think it's really easy to think that we need to have a war story or a rock bottom story to be the reason why we said, okay, I was in this position and then such and such happened and I had to stop. Well, actually it's far more powerful to have a story like I'm done with it. And and I think the position of um, power that we give ourselves when it comes from a place of our own choice is, is amazing. So in that time period where I had had all I'd I'd kind of done I suppose now I'd look back and call it pre-thinking about what I was going to do and what I was running up to towards 
the back end of 2019, when I was thinking to myself, okay, 2020 is going to be my year long experiment. Somewhere around the end of November, you know, this, this kind of time of year, beginning of December, I thought to myself, ah, I'm stalling. Actually, there is no such thing as a good date to start this. And I had in my mind the 1st of January, because obviously every amazing resolution starts on the January. Of course, we all start that fabulous thing of, on the 1st of January, and we always run it through to the 31st of December, said no one ever. And so I had this idea that actually I might be setting myself up to fail if I did start it on the 1st of January. So my last drink happened to be round at a friend's house party that evening. I had two G&Ts and a lovely night out and it was fabulous. And the next morning I just woke up and thought, actually, it starts today. And what I did was I took off the table all of the options to say, oh, but then it's so-and-so's wedding. Oh, and actually my birthday is the 4th of January. Oh, and actually what am I going to do for... If you just remove all of that stuff, you don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore. It just starts today. There's no time like today. And so I also had in my mind, right, actually, if I can get quite a lot of December activities under my belt, I'll be well set up for 2020. And so I did that first work night out which let me tell you was horrific we went to a comedy club in London and so there were pre-drinks and dinner and then the com comedy club and I was awkward I really was because I didn't quite know what to do with myself and I could have prepared myself better for that but I didn't have the you know the knowledge the options the ideas at that point and then I did the Christmas big night out with the girls and I did Christmas with um, other mum friends and all you know the carol service without the mulled wine and and all of those things that happen in December got through to the 1st of January and said to myself great I'm already nearly a month in I've practiced what I'm going to do I'm going to carry on doing it in December what I did was removed any of the alcohol that were my favorites from from the house so um actually there was a case of rosé wine that happened to be in the utility I put it in the shed um so that it was just out of sight out of mind um half bottles of gin I gave to friends when I went you know I just added them into their cocktail bars when I went round um I think there probably was a half bottle of white wine in the fridge that got poured down the sink. I chose not to see getting rid of that alcohol as a waste. I yeah. think previously I would have thought, oh, you can't just randomly stick a three-quarter bottle of Hendrix gin, you know, you or on somebody else's cocktail shelf. Let me tell you, you can. They'll be delighted. Mm -hmm. And actually, the the gift to yourself is not the waste of the money of getting rid of it the gift is not giving yourself that hangover or that internal argument that is all oh, that bottle of gin is still sitting there you know thinking about it call having it call to you um i then experimented and bought lots of lovely alcohol free drinks there are the market is exploding right now some of the alcohol free beers are amazing there are some really lovely gin substitutes. Um, 
white wine I haven't quite found my thing I don't think it's it's out there at the moment and same with the red wine there are some lovely fizzes really good alcohol-free fizzes amazing kombuchas and guess what lovely just fruit juices squashes cordials they're just delicious stick them in a fancy glass if you need to be hydrated (laughs) this is it and I'm so pleased that we're talking about it because one of the the first questions that popped into my head and I remember we were going out for a meal and I just didn't I didn't want a glass of wine and I thought what else can I drink because I didn't want a fizzy drink or coke or you know I felt like um I know this sounds a little bit silly like a kid's drink I didn't want that I wanted something that made me feel you know sophisticated like I was having a good time but I just wanted the 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 without the alcohol and you're right there's so many options available now um and it's and what I really enjoyed leaning into was trying them all (laughs) you know and often I'd say to the bartender I don't want alcohol can you just make me up a a fancy cocktail of what do you what do you want to throw into things and I'll just have really lovely nice drinks and I feel better and and putting it into a, a fancy glass or a wine glass even sometimes I'd ask for just you know something like I don't know like squash or something if I just fancied something like that but put it in a wine glass for me immediately just holding that wine glass it's amazing how it's the glass sometimes that gives you that that different feeling and emotion yes it definitely is I I think it's really useful for different places that you go to have um different um I, I suppose almost a shopping list is in the back of my mind I know that if I go to my local pub sometimes they might not have alcohol-free lager in the fridge because the space is taken up with with other stuff have you got a cold alcohol-free lager um if they say no I immediately know that I'm either having a ginger beer or a tonic but please in a gin glass with the ice and the slice looking fancy um you set yourself, you might set yourself up for not being successful if you go somewhere and you say, oh, can I have your alcohol-free lager or whatever? And they say, oh, sorry, you know, we've just sold out or it's not in stock. You could be in a position where you accidentally go for your old default and you might accidentally kind of go, oh, okay, uh, 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 I'll, I'll just have a gin and tonic then. Yeah. So especially if there's a queue behind you, right? yes so make sure you have in your mind you know before you get to the bar I'm going to choose ginger beer or lime and soda or whatever and if they haven't got that I'm going to have I'm just asking for x um that takes away some of the that little panic moment that you might have um one of the other things that early on was really really um important to me was the recognition of not being able to use alcohol in some of the ways that I had done around my feelings so if I were to give you the example of overwhelm and my habit on a third but by the time I I finished drinking I was drinking well under the government guidelines you know somebody could have looked at me and said there's nothing to see here she hasn't got a problem you know there's if at the end of my drinking, I was drinking one G&T on a Thursday night, probably two glasses of wine on a Friday night. And I only would have drunk on a Saturday night if I was out. Like, you know, you could argue that 
I could just have cracked on like that if I'd wanted to. But the point was, I didn't feel as good as I could have done if I was not drinking at all. And that is how the experiment panned out. Those feelings that I was particularly trying to address, let's say on a Thursday evening with A, G and T, were around overwhelm, were around the fact that I knew I had a particular job that I always had to do on a Friday morning that I found particularly testing that a Thursday night I needed to just not think about that Friday morning thing. A Thursday night involved in and out stuff with the kids and, you know, the things that make life life. And I recognised that if I wasn't going to be taking the edge off those feelings with whatever alcohol or alcoholic drink I was going to drink, then I'd need something else. And there's a phrase that I hear often which um which I've got some thoughts about people say that um one of the best things when you stop drinking is feeling your feelings and they follow it up by saying one of the worst things (laughs) is feeling your feelings (laughs) and so somebody might say to you oh you know um what helped me at five o'clock when I was feeling twitchy was um I would listen to a podcast about not drinking or I would um read somebody's memoir about their rock bottom or their their journey through AA or I would hop in the bath so I was distracted or I would walk the dog at an unusual time and all of these distractions could and might be helpful and useful and and part of your strategy But what if we're not addressing the feeling behind? So if I were to give you my example, part of my big feelings around not drinking were around loneliness. And so I recognised that over many, many years, my friendships had changed to places where we stopped phoning each other for a good long chat and you know, old time friends, you know, we just are snatching snippets of voice notes in WhatsApp and sending quick pictures and stuff, that deeper connection thing somewhere along the line and small children and whatever had had dissipated a bit. And I felt incredibly shameful about my feeling of loneliness because I live in a house with other people. I've got plenty of friends I didn't want to talk about feeling isolated and lonely because I didn't want anybody else to say to me, oh, but you've got loads of friends. What are you talking about? And so it would have been all very well me walking the dog at 5 p.m. or getting, let's say, getting in the bath at 5 p.m. to distract myself from drinking a glass of wine. But if I get in the bath and then get out of the bath, all I am then is lonely and wet. I haven't done anything <laughs> about what was behind. Yeah. So I'd say that is a really useful starting point right at the beginning when you're making those considerations around, is alcohol really serving me now? Is it the fact that I've just got into a habit of drinking and that I'd like to feel differently about my relationship with alcohol right what is the stuff that I just need to put my finger on to start making it feel joyful and easy and like a really expensive choice 
Mm. Yeah, I think everything that you just said is so interesting. It is that it's kind of dissecting how you feel, you know, so when you are coming home from work and you might reach for the glass of wine uh, because you associate that with rest time and finishing, well, what else, what would happen if you didn't have it? What would you feel then? You know, and it's just giving yourself permission to kind of do a bit of a self audit and and see what's going on behind the the curtain really so what do you do when you do put your finger on something that you think oh this is why so in your your case it was loneliness what did you do to combat that when you when you kind of when you uh, became self-aware yeah yeah so awareness is first definitely the very first point and and then actually what really helped me was bringing a gentle acceptance to this stuff because I recognised that as I went along, probably more stuff was going to surface at various different points. And so taking a look at it, thinking about it, you know, really kind of getting to the nub of, ah, is it because I've missed a particular connection with a particular friend? What shall, you know, is she amenable to us getting back to a place? You know, is she missing me as well? Are we, is there an opportunity to get back to a place where we were? Or do I need to forge something different and new somewhere else in a different circle? Finding out whether that isolation and, and certainly a part of this was that was tied up with alcohol as well was a fear of then being rejected by other people. What if? I always have been the life and soul of the party. What if I always was first on the dance floor, last one ordering tequila shots? How am I going to turn up in the future? It's a big unpicking, all of that stuff. And, you know, do we care about what other people think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly did. How am I going to get comfortable with being the different version of me? Do I expect to explain myself to other people or or am I not feeling like you know this is the stuff that's different for for all of us I think again it's so true isn't it it's a it's it's about getting to know yourself again isn't it because yeah. um, again I remember from a personal perspective going to a party it might have been a wedding or you know it was like dancing and things going on and knowing that I was I was just as much fun. I found myself just as much fun without the drink that I was still able to go and have a dance because actually I really like having a boogie with my friends or I was still able to be silly or still able to make jokes or still able to just have that, that those, you know, that be, have fun without it. But at the beginning of the night, I remember thinking, okay, let's, let's just again, experiment. I love that word. Cause I use that a lot is let's just experiment and see what happens yeah. and, and see, it is interesting just to see a different side of you and that you had, you know, giving yourself the courage to be the same person or to just have fun in the same way, but without a glass in your hand. Yeah. Something you said, again, I think it's really worth kind of shining a light on is how do other people perceive you without the drink? You know, because I saw somewhere, somewhere on social media, or I can't remember, it was about... Um, drink is the only thing that people pressure you into you know so if I was giving up smoking probably nobody would go oh come on have another cigarette have another cigarette or or, or drugs or anything they'd probably not you know um, but drink is a different ball game isn't it so when you go out they'll 
people might say, oh, come on, just have one. Oh, come on, what's up with you? Let's have another drink. And that can be difficult, you know, just how other people actually see you and whether you they still accept you in that way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I think that that whole... Um, and, and, you know, first off, hands up, I've been the person who has said to somebody else, oh, go on, just have one, you know, mm-hmm. you'll be really boring, or, you know, you'll make the rest of us feel bad, oh, you know, and and as a society, don't we expect the reasons why somebody is not drinking to be because they're pregnant, they're on antibiotics, or they're driving, that's pretty much, pretty much it, Um, and actually, in let's take for example the workforce how are we being inclusive and diverse if our work nights out or not even work nights out our christmas parties and you know our team building days involve alcohol there there might be a whole proportion of your workforce who actually are not drinking for who knows what Mm -hmm. kinds of reasons and it absolutely doesn't matter i think it is so ingrained in us to question other people because unfortunately it holds a mirror up to ourselves <laughs> and that's uncomfortable <laughs> I, I've got a friend who has never ever drunk and when years ago like when we were in our 20s I remember that I went through a bit of a period where I used to really grill her about her not drinking and all you know in fairness to her lovely her she never ever cut me off she you know she would explain you know why it wasn't it never was her thing and and it just wasn't any kind of big deal to her and now when I was coming when I was a a little while without a drink I then kind of realized ah yes I saw in her something that I actually wanted to be and do but I didn't know and so my questioning was actually about I see in you something that I'd like, but I've got no idea how to get anywhere near it. It was um, based on curiosity, wasn't it? Yeah, and learning. But I recognised what it sounded like was really annoying. I recognised that. And so now I've got massive compassion for anybody who is grilling me because although, yes, sometimes it is irritating actually perhaps it is somebody saying I don't understand how you're doing that or why you're doing it people are really really accepting if I were to say something like um oh um I don't drink because um let, let's say I'm I'm allergic to it or I my skin comes out in a massive rash or if, if I were to say something like that somebody might be a bit more accepting than if I say to them actually do you know what I just feel better without it at the moment what that often results in is somebody then telling me all of the ways in which oh actually you know I'm fine because all I ever drink is you know and and then they give me all of their stuff which you know um I don't mind hearing but it's that back and forth I think that that um, emotional charge that comes with having this conversation. And I see it very differently with my friends and my family than I do with people I don't know very well. I think the whole labeling and language thing is very, very important. So we could use words like 
sober, alcohol-free, not drinking, sober curious, mindful drinking. There's loads of different language, some of which absolutely are the labels I would choose for myself. Some of them I wouldn't, but I absolutely don't mind if somebody else uses them about me. Um, I would say to you, the place where I was when I decided I was going to start this experiment, I would never have called myself an alcoholic. But if somebody shorthand alcoholics me, I, I, I absolutely don't mind it. I was not at that stage physically addicted to alcohol. But now I would go back and argue that I probably was emotionally addicted to it, finding that relief. Yeah. Um, and so all of the language thing, I think it's really important for us to pick the things that feel comfortable, that feel spacious, that, uh, you know, sober is a good shorthand word, but it doesn't fill me with any particular joy. So I would, I, I'm really unlikely to describe myself in a either social or professional or personal situation as sober but it does the job it says what it is yeah yeah and I think it again with labels it's about choosing the thing that you want or just not bothering again yeah. as you were talking I'm thinking how would I describe myself because I don't describe myself because I'm not completely sober sometimes I'll have you know, I, I'm terrible. My husband always says that I'm terrible now because I'll take a, a little bit of his beer and then I'll put the rest. And I'll, I, I'm done now. I, I just wanted a taste, or I'll just have like that much, you know, a teeny tiny bit of wine, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done now. I don't want any more. Um, so I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm sober. So that's not a label that I'd use, but it's just I, I always say I'm just not a big drinker. I think that's probably how I describe myself. I'm just not a big drinker because most of the time I don't bother. I just don't don't do it um but it's so it it does make it easier to say that to other people doesn't it it's just a hook to hang things on isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and and I think that whole um wall story expectation is one that you know oh, why aren't you having a drink? Yeah. Actually, somebody might then be quite horrified if you were to then offload a whole bunch of, well, the reason why I don't drink is because, I don't know, I <laughs> crashed my car, blew up my relationship, lost my job. They actually might not want to be on the receiving end of that answer. Um, so I suppose now, if I could go back and give past me a piece of advice, I would definitely say, the reason why somebody is not having a drink is absolutely none of your business ever. Yeah, that's <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> it's none of your business. And yeah. just be glad of their company, right? Yeah. And so, you you know, that thing of those nights out, let's say, with your girlfriend or with your partner or with your work colleagues, it's the atmosphere, it's the company, it's the delicious food, you know, the the idea certainly I, I I find it um laughable now I think of the idea that so often I consumed so much alcohol in so many places that I felt uncomfortable in that the alcohol was really helpful for um enduring a situation that I didn't want to be in well why had I put myself in the situation in the first place I could have said no thanks <laughs> yeah exactly that you know sometimes as well Matt with again I'm thinking back to my experience you not drinking 
is it gives other people permission too to choose something else. I remember a situation where I'd gone away for the weekend with the girls and everybody was drinking and I'd had a couple of glasses of wine and it got to a point and it was something, I don't know, mid-afternoon. And I said, you know what, I'm going to put the kettle on. I just want a cup of tea, you know, I just want a really nice cup of tea. And everybody went, oh, can I have one? Can, I, can we all have just a really nice cup of tea? And we just continue to have such a laugh. And, you know, we'd go out and do things. But we're now we're all drinking tea, you know, and, and just having a really good cup of tea. And sometimes it just needs that one person to give everybody else permission. Not that that's your, your motivation, but it's, you know, often it works like that, doesn't it? Definitely. And, and I'm really seeing a bit of a, um, I don't know if domino effect is quite the right word. I, there was one friendship that has been a casualty of me stopping drinking. Definitely, our friendship was based upon the very hilarious and fun drunken times. And for a little while, I was a bit sad to have lost that person in my life. We didn't fall out or anything. It was a moving away because I was no longer going to be the pub companion that I had been previously. Um, some of my girlfriends have started drinking less, which I would say is not a consequence of me stopping drinking, but, you know, certainly maybe a kind of herd decision I don't know we we now much more often go out for long walks together as we do pub nights out and the huge and that wasn't instigated by me that was kind of a, a group decision and the total beauty in that is I would say our friendship and our connections are so much deeper because what we do when we're out going for a long walk together is we have complete conversations and we follow up on stuff that we've talked about before. I don't know about you, but I have been in many pub night out situations where we just tell the same story over and over again at each other. <laughs> and so I feel like I remember um, it the next day either. Yeah, so. about it, yeah. So I would fit I would say that actually it's brought a lot more depth nice. um, to our relationships. And I think in there as well is an age thing um I'm 45 my girlfriends are around the same kind of age and there is this perfect storm with perimenopause menopause that is going on um for all of us we're exploring differently around our hormones our emotions actually alcohol is a really unhelpful thing when you're trying to unpick physically for yourself what is going on in other areas and we can't have a conversation about that unless we're going to talk about our mental well-being as well. And, you know, if you are drinking and you are waking up the next morning and it's having zero consequences in any area of your life and you feel amazing, then crack on, you know, do whatever feels absolutely good for you. But if you're not feeling like you're operating as your absolute favourite self, then maybe it is time just to ask some gentle questions from a place of curiosity around all of that amazing amazing oh Sarah I have loved all of that we have covered so much ground so I hope that if you're listening that you've got what you needed from today Sarah where can people find you 
Thank you. Um, my website is drinklesslivebetter.com. Um, I'm on Instagram as drinklesslivebetter and I can be found on LinkedIn, um, Facebook as well. Um, I have a podcast. My book was published this week, uh, this year. So oh. those are all the good places. Fantastic. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go follow Sarah, hang out with her and um you know, share the love, just spread it to somebody that you know would benefit from it or who's who's curious right now with uh, what we've been talking about today. And if you really love our podcast, it really means an awful lot to us. If you could just leave us a, a, a review, it helps us to reach a lot more people. Sarah, I have loved our conversation. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And I'm sure there's so much more that we could talk about as well. But that's where I'd love to signpost you to all of Sarah's good stuff on her social. Thank you so much. And I'll see you soon. Thank you.